this is a moment, as we've said, to focus on both growth and productivity at the same time. For companies that are purely focused just on productivity alone, it kind of gets you through. But then when you get out of the other's business cycle, I think they're going to lose the strategic distance. From McKinsey's strategy and corporate finance practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. That was Asatosh Padi, our North America managing partner, and his point sets the tone for our session today. Corporate resilience requires both protecting against the downside as well as preparing to capture the upside for many shocks. On today's podcast, I'm joined by three experts who will discuss the board's role in building corporate resilience. First, Asatosh Padi is a senior partner in our Chicago office who helps industrial companies with transformations across the enterprise. Celia Huber is a senior partner in our San Francisco Bay Area office and leads our board services work in North America. And finally, Ida Christensen is a senior partner in our New York office and leads our risk and resilience work across North America, as well as our global cybersecurity practice. Welcome. Asatosh, let's start with you. Why should resilience be at the top of the board agenda? Sean, thank you for the introduction. No matter which way you describe where we are at currently, we can all agree that we are in a moment of great uncertainty today. We've got many mixed signals, some that are positive on the economy and some that are incredibly negative. And I think all of us in our conversations and my conversations with CEOs and, and the boardrooms, I think everyone is trying to interpret what to make of the data. Moments of great uncertainty is also when we believe institutions truly have the ability to differentiate. And the actions that companies and leaders are going to take today will actually make a difference. Going back to the past downturn, the actions that companies took made the 10x difference in share price, 10x, over a 7 to 10 year period. And boards can really have a great dialogue with management teams around enabling that. Thanks, Asitash. Aida, could you elaborate on the nature of the disruptions that companies are facing right now? This is a, a pretty amazing set of disruptions we are seeing, right? Highest inflation since the 70s. What's important about that, of course, it's not just the energy prices, which is receiving a lot of attention, but core the core part of inflation still remains incredibly high across the world. And we're seeing the uncertainty um, around uh, what what the Fed in the U.S., uh, other, other institutions, other countries are going to do. We see a continued focus on supply chain challenges. We are seeing an increasingly depressed sentiment about consumers, but also corporates when, when we do our surveys. We see job growth. Uh, we're seeing signs. What, what things we would normally see is not consistent with uh, with recessionary trends, but we are, we are having this, I mentioned, very tight labor market and still a decrease in productivity in, in countries. And then, of course, on top of all of these kind of macroeconomic elements, we have the, the, the great uncertainties of both the pandemic that is still around, the geopolitical tensions that, that arise, including the interdependencies between these geopolitical tensions and everything else that's going on. And so when we are having conversations with with our clients, with CEOs, with boards, we are really hearing uncertainty as being the number one topic that comes up, right? And I think everyone would say, look, the the amount of things that are changing, the amount of uncertainty around what this is going to look like going forward is really quite unprecedented. Indeed. Thanks, Ida. Asutash, how are your clients thinking about and reacting to all this change and uncertainty? 
Yeah, I think the discussion has started to shift away a little bit from trying to, of course, all companies need a certain set of scenarios to plan against. It's very hard to get your hands around the, in, not only around these individual factors, but around the interlinkages uh, between those. Uh, the second thing is, it's not all gloom and doom by any means. Yes, consumer sentiments are at an all-time low, but consumer balance sheets continue to be extraordinarily strong. Like consumers, at least in the United States, have $3 trillion of cash on the balance sheet. When I talk to CEOs, they talk about the balance sheet strength that is very, very strong. And three, I think innovation, which I think is often something that we tend to forget. I think innovation is like well and alive. And this is really a moment when everyone is starting to think through and say, how do they take advantage of digital? Of uh, How do they get back to the productivity levels? How do they drive innovation and growth? So I, I would say it's not just all, uh, it's not just all uh, gloom and doom, but it is a mixed point. And Celia, you also work a lot with boards. How prepared do you think they are to address a potential new series of negative events that could emerge out of this environment? We, we did, after all, just go through a huge crisis with COVID, and boards generally rose to that challenge. Yeah, actually, Sean, we ask in our global board director survey, which we run every other year, about a thousand directors globally fill it out. And it's interesting to note that there are a set of challenges that I would say are close to home that boards and companies feel very prepared to deal with. Employee safety, for example. But there are a set of other larger scale forces that boards feel unprepared to deal with. And we typically see large scale crises, macroeconomic changes, climate change, uh, that boards feel like the challenge is both ambiguous and they're not prepared. Thanks, Celia. So what are they doing to get prepared? Ida, it looks like you've got something to add here. I was going to share one one anecdote, which is uh, we one of the things we do sometimes both with executive teams and with boards are running war games, right, around different crises that could happen. And I participated in one recently with a North American company, and this was a, a joint session for, for members of the board and the executive management. And there was a ransomware attack scenario. And it was a three and a half hour, I'd say, more gripping than the latest James Bond movie. And you can choose your, your, your favorite action movie, but a really, really high intensity uh, situation. And at the end of this conversation, the CEO of the company said, turned to the chairman of the board and said, if this had been real, I would I would now resign uh, from the company. And, and the point with this thing is, once you go through, and he didn't, and I'm glad he didn't, he's a wonderful CEO, but once you go through these exercises and you play through the, the set of decisions that have to happen, the intensity of, of everything that has to happen, it really brings it to life. So make sure your board sets up you know, some of these war games on a range of different scenarios and, and just get get that muscle memory of what happens and, and make sure your, your senior management, even more importantly, go through that. Yeah, you know, Ida, you bring up a very good point, which is you can do some preparation. The other thing that I think boards have learned, particularly over the last two years in the pandemic, is that their clock speed needs to increase to match the environment. So for those of you that are, and I don't know very many boards that are just doing quarterly meetings, but that has not been enough over the last two years. So boards have added ad hoc phone meetings. Obviously, many of the meetings were virtual, allowing them to add meetings in between the regularly scheduled ones. And one of the interesting insights I've heard, both from CEOs and chairs, is that the clock speed and ability to make decisions when forced went way up. 
and wondering why we couldn't have been that effective and efficient at making decisions prior to the pandemic. So it's something to keep in mind as we talk through some of these risks. Thank you. Uh, so given the economic signals are still somewhat mixed, how should companies approach developing plans for different eventualities? And, and what's the board's role in all of this? So there's some real differences between what we've seen in the past, both good and bad, and where we are today, right? We are having, as mentioned, much healthier balance sheets, corporate balance sheets, consumer, consumer savings. And that means there's just a lot more resilience built into the system. Also, uh, at the same time, right? the volatility is going to be with us for a very long time. Maybe this is a bit of the new normal, right? The uncertainties, both the financial, the geopolitical. And one of the big things that we are advising our clients to is say, don't rely on forecast. The only thing you can you, you know of your forecast is it's going to be wrong. You need to think about scenarios. You need to think about the inter, interdependencies and, and planning for, for a whole host of things that might happen and, and know what's, what, what you would do in those situations. The GDP slowdown seems to be continuing. Uh, the big question is how, how deep and for how long? We do consumer surveys uh, quite regularly, and we're seeing a, a market um, kind of negative sentiment in, in those, as, as I mentioned before, right, with, with a, a consumer self-reporting, decreasing discretionary spend, et cetera. We strongly believe capital markets are not falling apart, right? Uh, there's a lot of volatility, but they're quite robust. But we're definitely seeing the trends of the access to, to capital and to credit tightening. That is particularly important for growth-oriented companies, right? And in our conversations, we're seeing a real pivot from kind of being able to just focus on growth to, to really have to focus on the bottom line as well. This also means that there's some real opportunities for, for, for acquisitions uh, out there, right, when, when, when other funding opportunities uh, dry up. No one playbook is going gonna, is gonna to solve this, right, for your company. But given the amount of things that everyone has been through, COVID or things, there's going to be segments of that experience that are going to be really, really relevant. And then I'd say one of the wonderful things about the cumulative experience of board members is you will all have, there's a greater likelihood that you all have seen uh, more economic cycles come through than maybe the current management and can help kind of say, what are the learnings from the past? How do we create a new playbook, but really building on everything we've learned from, from the past? Secondly, and this is the, the offensive piece, really make sure that this is not just about protecting and cutting for the, for the short term. This, this recession, if it's a formal recession, might be you know, shallow and shorter than what we've seen in, in past recessions. And that means that the planning for the exit from, from, it, from, a, from a slowdown uh, should start now, right? And so it's very important as a, our advice by the board members, really make sure that management is focused on both. Both what are the short-term things we need to do to protect the firm, but what are the opportunities presenting themselves that we might want to go for? Really focusing on the business portfolio, there's a higher premium on, 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 on short-term earnings right now and profitability, uh, given the way interest rates are moving. And then very important, I'd say one of the, I'd say right after volatility, and Ashutosh will have views on this too, talent is really a topic that comes up, right? And so it's a, an interesting uh, place to be running companies where talent shortages are real. And our clients are talking about not filling those positions. Our advice is uh, don't cut to the bone. Make sure you manage talent. You're going to need need all of them very, very soon. Asajosh. Uh, thank you, Vita. If I can build upon this, the decisions and that you can now support and influence and enable uh, and the difference you can make will actually endure. 
companies will feel the impact of these actions for the next, you know, three, five, 10, 20 years, right? So it will actually extend. Uh, in, in the conversations, I think just to build upon what uh, Ida was saying, you know, this whole notion of a new playbook, if I can double click on that for a second, what does that practically mean? What do you actually go and do? The first one is, I think this is a moment, as we've said, to focus on both growth and productivity at the same time. For companies that are purely focused just on productivity alone, it kind of gets you through. But then when you get out of the other's business cycle, I think they're going to lose the strategic distance that I know, you know, every one of them. And therefore, what does it practically mean around the innovation project? What does it mean around your investments in digital? What does it mean around your investments in new businesses? So that's 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 thought one, growth and productivity. The second thing is portfolio. And I think that most of most companies, you know, and, and the boards typically have reviewed this, you have a view around what businesses do you want to be in today, three years from now, five years from now, ten years from now. And we see think this is a moment to actually accelerate. It's a moment to accelerate both divestitures as well as acquisitions. I think for very different reasons, uh, but I think this is a good moment to be able to do that. And the third word I'd use is optionality. And optionality comes from the standpoint of where does your balance sheet look? Where are you relative to your fixed cost position and so on? And obviously it all comes with this importance of the talent. I think that how do you use this as a way to strengthen and deepen your talent bench and not really you know, not really lose the talent that you have. These are the conversations we are having with CEOs and with board members. So the perspective that you're sharing here seems to apply to both management slash CEOs and boards. How do you differentiate which one should tackle what aspects of developing this new playbook? Great question. And, and, and Sean, I agree with the, with the premise of the question, which is it applies, right? And, and, and we do believe that the, these are uh, insights that are equally relevant to CEOs and, and board members. But but to answer the, the question more specifically, the, these are things that we believe that it is very meaningful for the board to ask for. And for a board member to say, look, help us understand what is the playbook we are deploying right now? What are the key insights? And by the way, what is the plan for the board to roll in that, right? What would be the things that could happen where you need to, Celia's point, need to, to mobilize us very, very quickly? What's our role? And by the way, how are you preparing us for that, right? What are the scenarios that are, that are part of your playbook? And how are you educating us now such that we'll be ready for that conversation if we got to call that meeting? What is our balance between uh, preparing the entry and the exit? What are the moves and the strategies we're doing now to prepare us for what's happening? How are we spending our time as board members discussing the, the, the defensive versus the offensive? And, and how is management doing that? In management updates, how what is the balance between those two? And there'll be some telltale signs if the company is retracting too much to short-term you know, management of expenses and not really look at, looking, at, looking ahead. And then the talent question is definitely something that board members should ask about as well. What is our talent strategy, right? In an in a increasingly competitive talent market, how are we differentiating ourselves? What is the value proposition? And what are, what are indicators saying about our ability to attract and retain talent in this very competitive environment? Now, I might just add, you know, it is not unusual for companies to have an M&A playbook and the boards get briefed on that uh, and understand over time how that playbook might adjust given the context or the environment. So valuations are high, 
valuations are low, but the management team has approval to, within that playbook, move forward. I think we are talking about something very analogous. So the board doesn't need to be in the details of the playbook, but understanding what, what it is, what is the framing of that playbook, and what are the assumptions underneath it that if they were to change, let's say in the macroeconomic environment, that would change management's playbook as well. That's the type of discussion that should be happening in the boardroom. And another, going back to my example from before, another playbook that I would I would think a board member would want to ensure is the cyber playbook. A cyber crisis plays out quite differently than almost any other crisis, and there's not a lot of time. So on your point about the risk of a cyber crisis, are, are boards changing their approach to managing that? Maybe appointing a dedicated director or establishing new reporting structures or committees within the board? So, so look, I'd, I'd say a, a couple of things, right? First of all, we are seeing boards making sure that there's at least one, a couple of board members that have the right technical exper- experience, the right understanding of this, right? As you would with many other many other topics, right? Secondly, uh, we're seeing really a shift, and this comes both, I'd say, in, in, regulati- in regulated industries like banking, we're seeing the regulators very explicitly asking for, for increased board involvement, but also non-regulated industries, right? The board's kind of stepping up and saying, this is now such a critical threat to the company that we as a board need to un- need to understand how we are prepared. And so the kind of things in terms of the substance of what the, the board would respond to, but I think done are the days where you parade in a, a CISO and say, nothing to see here, we got it under control, right? And what we're seeing people move to is really a much more, I'd say, honest and open and vulnerable conversation about the threat landscape, right? What everyone, everyone to be blunt, has someone in the system at some point. So what do we know about who, what's coming in, what they're looking at? What are the investments we are making? What is our view of the greatest vulnerabilities? And what explicitly are we doing uh, to do that? And so we are seeing a real shift to what I call much more substantial conversations, right? And I would say as a board member, if no one has said to you, here are the most critical risks and the most vulnerable parts of our business from a cyber perspective, that's a really important conversation to, uh, to, to be had. And do not stop with, no, no, no worry. We have a you know, 99% patching rate. That's fine. That does not, that does not fully answer the question. This is an, you know, I would say the strategic importance of the topic has gone up by a factor of 10x in the last 12 to 18 months, given the geopolitics. I would highly recommend a couple of things. One is some uh, tabletop exercises or board gaming exercises for each of the boards. I think that's consistently what board chairs are actually going, are going through right now. And uh, the second thing is just making sure that the topic, I think to what Ida was saying, is, is front and center, remains front and center, right? And I think in terms of the board agenda as part of the risk committees, as part of uh, enterprise risk management and so on. Thank you both. Um, I'd love to dive a little bit more deeply into what it actually means to be resilient in the current environment. It's a word that gets used a lot, uh, but tends to be vaguely defined. But what's your view? So fundamentally, we think about, as, as we talked about, that um, when disruption happened, that's a really important opportunity to pivot both to prepare the companies for what's going on, but really also to strengthen for, for you know to build and strengthen what's what's ahead. And so so three 
kind of three elements of that uh, in the way we think about it. Uh, foresight, response, and adaptation. So let me just spend a moment and talk talk about what, what that means. Everything begins with information and understanding of what's going on, right? And so foresight is really the fundamental muscle of saying, do we understand the likelihood of different things happening? Do we understand the intercomplexities and interdependencies? And very important, what, what the implications are for our company. And so tactically, what this looks like, right, is the definition of scenarios, not forecasts, but scenarios, different stress testing, early warning systems, and some very clear management decision processes around what are the, the bright lines of if X, Y, Z were to happen, what, you know, what would we do, right? So for instance, uh, what will be a, you know, take supply chain, what kind of disruption of a supply chain could happen before something gets triggered and, and be very, very clear on, on that and the, and, and the, and the decisions to, to be made on that. Response is then all about, I'd say, the near to medium term, right? What are the levers we are pulling? That can be expense management. It can be pricing changes. It can be operational adjustments, as we saw a lot during, during uh, the pandemic, right? Where we saw brick and mortar stores having to really change the, the, the process, right? So what are the very specific things you do to, to, to respond? And then adaptation we see as, as more the long-term building up and saying what could be the more fundamental changes you make. These could be, if we stick with supply, cha supply chain, these could be the fundamental changes you do to diversify your suppliers, right? So you have, so you're less uh, vulnerable to any, any one disruption. It could be really building up the resilience muscles within the company institutionalizing, you know, the, the war games, the tabletop exercises, doing the longer term playbooks for, for a round, for, for a number of, of different things, uh, but really thinking through what are some of the more systematic changes we do to prepare to be to respond not just to what's in front of us, but to everything that might come in the future. And the the known unknowns, right, is, is, is really what we're talking about in, in, in terms of, of, of preparation. You know, to build on this a bit, as board members, I think the questions to really consider is one is, what's the speed of the response? I think during COVID times, we saw companies that used to launch products in four to five years that crashed it down to three to six months, right? Is the, what is the speed of that response? Is it COVID speed? Has it changed? The second is effectiveness of the response, right? Around saying, what are we seeing really when, when we are taking these actions? Uh, and what are we, more importantly, what are we learning from this? And the third part is this notion of uh, what's the enduring aspect of the response, meaning what are we learning right now that is not just an in-the-moment exercise, we're not just doing to this to get through it, but we're actually taking this back to be able to change how we, how we run the institution. And examples of that is how board and management interactions happen, for example, long presentations versus much more bite-sized, smaller problem-solving topics. How do management interactions happen? How does the CEO communicate with customers? How does the CEO communicate and engage with employees, right? So I think that the, the framework, I think this is, and this is why I come back to this idea which really resonates, Ida, which is around the pivot, the pivot to be able to actually use this as a moment to accelerate. No, I, I think that's great. And, and Ashutosh, it also reminded me of um, uh, something that Jamie Dimon shared with us, which is a part of, of the CEO Excellence uh, book that, that McKinsey published, where he talked about, you know, during the financial crisis, how 
he didn't he, he didn't think the best use of his time was to sit in board meetings and talk theoretically about what was happening rather he pulled the board members out on the trading floor so they could see what was happening in, in real time so I, I think as we think about foresight response adaptation the board also plays a different role right it is probably not helpful to spend a lot of time debating the response responses are very much like go run with it get it done and come back and tell us what what you need but particularly in terms of saying, are we being thoughtful enough about the long-term implications? Asatosh, your point about what are we learning from this? How can we build this into the muscle of what we do? The taking advantage of opportunities and the adaptation we need to do long-term, we would say the board can be, play a really important role to make sure that the right level of ambition is, is being set. So what about financial resilience? What role does that play relative to some of the other aspects of resilience boards need to pay attention to? We talk about resilience and a lot of time when we talk about resilience, uh, people focus immediately on financial resilience. So how strong is our balance sheet? What is our pricing levers? What can we hedge? And there's no doubt that financial resilience is incredibly important. Nonetheless, we think that there's a number of other elements of resilience that are really critical. And we think companies and boards can benefit from being quite systematic in thinking about these um, related but, but separate elements of resilience, both in thinking about what are the responses we need to take, but also long term as you think about the adaptation and how to build a stronger, a, a, a stronger company, thinking systematically around six dimensions can really help making sure that the company is prepared for whatever might happen. Financial, we talked about. Operational is really the the the, uh, the inner workings of what is our supply chains? How we, do we operate? What are the factories? What are the production channels? How diversified, how concentrated are they? How subject um, to disruption would, would they be? Digital and technology comes back to, to, to my sci-fi examples, as well as just technology disruptions, right, uh, that could happen for other reasons uh, than, than, than cyber. But how are we prepared for these things? What are our backup systems? What is our business resilience around these things? How quickly do we get up and running? Brand reputation and ESG um, is a lot about how do we manage our stakeholders internal, but really externally as well. And every company has an increasing number of stakeholders, including managing kind of media relations, et cetera. And how we think about societal commitments in part of, in, in part of all of that, right? How do we make sure we have the right resiliency to be able to, to navigate all of that quickly? Then around business uh, model and innovation, right, it's really around how quickly do we pivot, right? So Asatosh talked about, you know, making production times a lot shorter. What, where are the areas where it's critical that, that innovation can happen quickly? It's not in all areas, but what are the product segments, the areas of our company where we need to make sure we have an ability to really develop and evolve very, very quickly? And then organizational is, is both the leadership resilience we talked about, the board and the management team's ability to act quickly, the decision-making they make. And then it's the talent value proposition, right? I mentioned before the ability to attract and retain talent. You know, we would say looking at it in a systematic way across these six levers is likely to provide some insights, both for management and for boards in terms of saying, where really the strength and the vulnerabilities of our company. In, in your client experience, which of those six do you find that boards and management teams are most focused on or maybe should focus on the most? Yeah, let me stick with digital and, and, and technology maybe for, for a second, right, which is, is one. And, and I think what we're saying is, look, financial and operational might be the two that has received most attention in the past. And so digital and technology, 
with with the rapid you know speed of digital innovation, companies moving to cloud, being much more reliant on that. There's just a lot of resilience aspects that come up that might not have been part of the DNA ten years ago. And so I'm working with a, with a company right now to really think through. What is the best way to highlight to the board what are the digital and technical vulnerabilities? And and so the work we are doing is about saying, look, we got to overlap the threat landscape that happened from from a cyber perspective. We got to look at the capabilities that that the organization has, and we need to overlay all of that to say, what are the big areas of vulnerabilities that we need to focus and where we need board guidance on saying what kind of what kind of potentially uh, pivots do we need to to uh, to make? Yeah, I think on the criticality, I think that talent is top of the is, is the top three board and CEO topic at this point in time. And I think every single conversation we have around different aspects of leadership development around how to use this as a moment to strengthen the leadership bench, to deepen the leadership bench, to develop new capabilities. That seems pretty much so. Mm -hmm. Celia, I don't know what what thoughts you might have on that too. Right. I think it also depends on what industry you're in. So I'd push a little bit hard on brand reputation and ESG. It is a topic in the boardroom and in the area, the industry that I work in, which is healthcare, the conversation about health equity has become a really important one. So prior to the pandemic, um, folks would worry about access and quality for underserved communities. And even if you are a privately held business for profit, still thinking about what is your customer base? What do those stakeholders need? And how are you creating the ecosystem for them to get served? I think the pandemic underscored this notion of health equity. And many more boards are being proactive now about saying, who are our customers? How are we serving the least represented, uh, least served portions of those communities? And what should we be doing differently in the core of our company or maybe through our foundation or other community service? And so uh, I see that as rising, particularly in my industry. Asatosh, the other thought I had is it's it's there's also interdependencies. And so the, the digital and technology has a lot of talent underpinnings, right? We all know that one of the biggest vulnerabilities for cyber attacks is, you know, phishing attacks, other things, right? So, so there's a real dependency on, on the talent, the training, the culture of companies uh, in order to, to ensure, you know, substantial resilience in, in the other areas. Celia, in your research on boards, do you see any of these dimensions particularly stand out as areas of focus? When we think about the role of the board, uh, going back to the survey that I mentioned, it's very interesting to see that board members see opportunities to really improve their efficiency and effectiveness in a crisis. One of the interesting pieces that I still find surprising is only 7% of the respondents believe that over the past year's year, their board was most effective at dealing with risk management. And so I think there's a lot of room for opportunity. Interestingly, we talked about this before, that about 40% said that their organizations are currently very well prepared for the next large scale crisis. But that leaves 60% of board members feeling unprepared and not thinking that they're having the right types of conversations in the boardroom. Thanks, Celia. So where should boards focus their efforts in addressing these shortcomings? 
So really on the foresight, thinking about what are the main areas of uncertainty? Many of the boards I work with use scenario planning as one of the tools to be able to understand what are the main drivers of uncertainty. And then what would be the early warning indicators that you're heading down a scenario that is difficult for the company to manage? On response, of course, there are a lot of questions depending on the specifics of the crisis being faced, but can we seize the moment? The majority of companies that came out of the 2008 recession in a stronger position used that opportunity to seize the moment and take some bold strategic moves while they were also coping with the crisis on a macroeconomic level. So what are those moves for our company? And then what are the strategic decisions that need to be made or business model changes to implement? You know, thinking back to my time in healthcare, um, one of the business model changes that had to happen was a much more digital delivery, particularly of primary care. And that had to happen almost overnight. In an environment where many physicians said that their patients would not be willing to see a doctor virtually. And then of course the adaptation questions. So what are the new opportunities? How can we expand? Can I take that virtual health offering and now do something bigger and bolder as a new business for, for my company? One of the things I think it's important for the board to think about is what are the lines in the sand? So I'll give you an example. I work with a retirement uh, and life insurance provider. And one of the issues with the low interest rate environment has been how, how much longer do we continue to support a set of variable annuities that we don't feel are meeting customer needs? And how long do we stay in the boat waiting for the interest rate environment to change? And those are very important board level discussions that should be happening on both adaptation, but also obviously the conversation around foresight. Thanks, Celia. But fundamentally, that balance of, of board members to be able to, to really think about defenses versus offensive, short-term versus long-term, really thinking through some of the trade-offs and the balance between that, I think is a wonderful, a wonderful role to play and appropriately challenge management to say, are we really balancing that in, in the right way? Maybe the one other thing I'd add is, is this notion of what do I need as a board member, right? Once you know the main areas of, of, of uncertainty, what can you as management help me in understanding now such that I'm better prepared when we get into one of these scenarios where we have to make decisions very, very quickly? Um, and so what do I need to know about our current capabilities, what's happening in the industry, such that when we get to one of those moments, we can really get in, in, into decisions and not, and not education? Asitash, it looks like you've got something to add. Uh, I, I start with the notion of team, right? It's one team. I see the CEO and the management team as being kind of the player coaches. I see the board as being kind of the non-playing coaches. But I think it's important that for this team to win, uh, a few things need to be in place, I think. Uh, and I think it particularly gets important at this point in time when the level of uncertainty is a lot higher. And I think the things that need to be in place really is collaboration, right? faster degree of two-way information exchange. It needs to be joint problem solving together. I think that as opposed to like 100 page presentations, uh, I think that I think boards have gotten used to seeing and asking for the nth level of detail, really focusing this on the critical few questions. In our, in our work with institutions, we recognize that there is three to five 
big important questions that really will determine the future of the institution in a way that, you know, uh, for like decades to come. And what are those questions? And are you spending enough time on those questions? And the last thing I would say is judgment. And this is where I think the boards in particular could be quite helpful in providing a bit of a uh, yeah, inside out perspective, not just an outside in. I think we often say we've got an outside in perspective. In fact, an inside out perspective, which is you're part of the team, but you still are looking out and still bringing those perspectives is often very, very helpful. So is this increased need for strategic and operational resilience affecting the structure of boards at all? Has there been a rise, for example, in the number of independent directors or have the legal and fiduciary responsibilities around things like risk and compliance, have those increased? On the first part of the question, as you know, and I'm sure all of our audience knows, board seats change slowly. So we haven't seen a huge uptick in the number of independent directors, although I do think that shareholders and particularly institutional investors are looking much more closely at the background of independent directors and as well as how overboarded those independent directors are. So do they have the capacity to give to the company enough time? We are seeing a rise in more time on the agenda for the chief risk officer, more time on the agenda for outside speakers to talk about different risks, and more time on the agenda is being demanded by board members to actually discuss things. I Just building off of Asatosh's point of, by the time we get through the presentation, there's no time for us to discuss. I do think folks are using executive committees. Depending on the industry, they're using some supply chain and operational committees, subcommittees, as well as technology committees as well. So we are seeing some change in the makeup of the board subcommittees, but not the kind of wave that the question implies. And I think that's because boards do move more slowly on changing their structure. Ida, do you want to take the second part of the question? For sure. And and recognizing, of course, that we do see jurisdictional differences in, in exactly what those requirements are. Uh, but, but I will say, yes, that I would say painting with a broad brush, um, there's definitely been a, an expansion in terms of what board members believe, you know, feel that they have to be knowledgeable about because of some of these requirements. And so I think it it, it means that there's a broader set of topics that come. And I, and I would actually say, Sean, it's good and bad, right? You know, on, on one hand, we obviously um, think there's a lot of value in board oversight, but I also think that it, it's been such a broad number of things and some of them quite specific and technical that I don't know that companies have fully matured in how to best use the board. So we are going through the motions, it's on the agenda, material is sent out, but for some of these areas, I, I might say that we still have some ways to go to figure out what is really the right role of the board. So one risk that companies are building resilience for that we haven't yet talked about is climate change. How are boards ensuring that executive teams are gauging and managing environmental risks, especially around catastrophic events like floods and other natural disasters and how they might affect the company, its suppliers, and even its customers? This is clearly in the bucket of operational uh, resilience when you start to think about supply chains, for example, with most industrial companies. Supply chain resilience first became a board-level topic during covid and I liken that to saying they've now been to the emergency room and it's now time to go to the gym, right? To start to reimagine essentially what the supply chains uh, are gonna look like for the future. 
So I think there is an elevated role, for example, on this set of topics that historically the board would not get into. And I think that also translates into what the implications of, you know, when you think about the company, think about the footprint, whether it's customer footprint, supply chain, operational footprint, and you start to think about scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions, there is a, a growing discussion around regulations, but more importantly, I think just creating that basic understanding of where the institution is at today for many different reasons, for investor reasons, for customer reasons, for employee reasons, and for reasons of other stakeholders is, is becoming more and more important. It's a conversation that's just starting. It's very uneven. And I think in addition to the supply chain disruption, but obviously other operational disruptions were also really brought into light as, as part of the pandemic in terms of, of nearshore, offshore operation having to shut down. Natural disasters will, will contribute to that as well. And so I think as board members, you know, again, understanding what is our operational vulnerability to, you know, what's our concentration vulnerability and what can we do? What are the mitigants we have in place short term if something happens? And what is our long term strategy to increase the resilience and decrease the dependence on any vulnerable concentrations in our operations? Um, this is the last question for all of you. What aspect of this evolution and the board's role are you most excited about? Yeah, I, I think I'm more I'm most excited about the notion of the board as a catalyst, bringing those independent and outside viewpoints to really push and raise the ambitions of both the company and management and then having them get it done together. That was a good one. I should have gone first. <laughs> no, look, I, I would say uh, that the long-term perspective, right? The commitment to the long-term strategy, the long-term innovation, who we are as a company, right? And making sure that that course is, is, is clear and maintained, even in the stormiest of weathers. So I pulled back up, Sean, and my read on this is the following. I think there's no better time to be a board member. I think these are moments of uncertainty and this, this is the time when your actions today, the actions that you take right now, will matter a lot more than your actions might have about five years ago in aggregate. Resiliency is kind of a new muscle for everyone, right? For management, for board members and, and how boards and management teams work together to build that muscle is gonna be extremely, extremely important. Asitash, Aida, Celia, this has been a great conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you'd like to listen to more on this topic, we actually posted an episode in April 2021 on the evolving role of the board on resilience in the wake of COVID. We've also included a link in the show notes to the board survey that Celia mentioned during the episode. If you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future podcast, please email us at inside the strategy room at mckinsey.com and please share your ratings and reviews on your favorite podcast player thank you to our many listeners who've already rated and reviewed the podcast we really appreciate your comments and feedback please keep them coming if you'd like to listen to additional episodes you can access our entire library on your favorite podcast player and on our inside the strategy room podcast collection page at mckinsey.com slash ITSR, where you can also find transcripts of more than 120 past episodes. Finally, if you'd like to receive alerts on our latest insights on strategy and corporate finance, you can sign up on our practice insights page at mckinsey.com slash SCF. You can follow us on Twitter at MCK Strategy or connect with us on LinkedIn on the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice page. 
Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again next week inside the Strategy Room.